The Fed is designed to make money. They basically sell treasury bills, go out and buy other investments, and then make money on the spread. What you're looking at right here is a track record of the ability of the Fed to make money so that the government can pay its bills. This is one of the sources of its income. I want you to see that they this chart is done in millions of dollars. So back here, this and this is a weekly basis. On uh, February uh, or April April the 3rd, 2013, they made $1.5 billion. And as you can see, they've done a pretty good job. So they keep the lights on at the, the uh, White House. And then we come to um, uh, Wednesday, uh, August the 31st, 2002. They make $1,024,000,000. Last week, they lost $42 billion. That's right. They've lost money since, it looks like, uh, September 21st, 2022. This is something you need to understand. And I held a meeting of my investment committee to dig deep into this because this is going to affect not only the stock market, but it's going to affect the world's opinion of the U.S. dollar. The federal government is losing money. How confident are you? Let's dig deep into this so we know what to do this week in the stock market. Best of Us Investors presents Kerry Griegmeier. Okay, this is going to be the second in our series of uh, what's going to happen in the stock market this week, where we're putting our four minds together and uh, doing some in-depth analysis of how we're progressing through this bear market. Well, I, I think we're in something of a transition towards technology. This could just be a, um, a bull market, uh, a bear market rally. Uh, Trent, I know you have some specific thoughts on this. Um, you want to take the lead and take us down the path today. Sure. So, you know me, I, I get into the plumbing of how all this stuff works and more so than just the individual stocks and how they move about. Well, I was reading about something uh, the other day about what the Fed has been doing and how we've done this actually before, but we haven't done what they're doing simultaneously with two big events in history. So in 1920, 1928, the Federal Reserve raised Fed funds rates from 4% to 6% in less than a year to basically weed out speculators out of the stock market. In 1929, the stock market had its big day and, and crashed because of this big movement. Fast forward to the 1980s and Paul Volcker raised interest rates as he did, and he basically killed the whole savings and loan industry along when he did his rate moves, we saw mortgage rates up near 12 to 15%. Um, and that was in, we had hyperinflation situation. Fast forward to today and what happened in 1928 and what happened in 2000 or 1980 is happening simultaneously today and what the Fed is doing overall with its raising of interest rates like they have. And now with their opening of what they call the reverse uh, repo window, that opens basically allows banks to go in and borrow money and uh, uh, pledge securities, borrow money. So they in case of a liquidity crisis. And last week we talked about on March 15th, they issued that opened that door um, and it was good basically for 90 days. Well, what I've learned more and more is that 
these things the Federal Reserve is creating a lot of instability within the banking system, but also instability and some structural issues with the Federal Reserve and the US Treasury. So if I can share my screen with you, the Federal Reserve's liabilities and capital, liabilities, earnings, remittance due to the US Treasury as of Wednesday. So let me just read this to you. Between 2020 and 2022, the Treasury received an average of 90 billion a year in remittance from the Fed. In other words, the Fed funded 90 billion a year in government spending, okay? Since September of 2022, the Treasury has lost 42 billion due to Fed, the Fed's unprofitability. Now, the way the rule works with this is that, and this is all provided, this is something I got from a research firm called Hedgeye. Earnings remittance due to the US Treasury is a liability to the Fed's balance sheet. When the Fed starts losing money, the losses accrue negatively and become a negative liability or a deferred asset. Therefore, when the Fed becomes profitable in the future, it must first overcome its uh, cumulative historical losses before resuming remittance to the Treasury. That all sounds really confusing, right? Yeah. So let's think about how the Treasury and the Fed work together. The Treasury says we need to raise money to pay for the functions or the do going ons in the United States. They get it from tax receipts. They get it from issuing U.S. Treasury bonds. And when they issue U.S. Treasury bonds, they issue it to the Federal Reserve. And then the Federal Reserve goes out and sells those treasuries and those assets out into the marketplace. They then turn to the Treasury and they give them money. In this case, between 20, 2020 and 2022, $90 billion a year. And so they take that. Well, unfortunately, the U.S. Treasury is now functioning at a negative, and, or excuse me, the Federal Reserve is functioning at a negative level at, as of the, this chart, $44 billion. It was $42 billion on Wednesday. They cannot give the Treasury money until they become profitable again. So let me jump in here. Yeah, the Treasury please. is Janet Yellen. Yes, sir. The the Fed is uh, Jerome Powell. Correct. So um, Janet Yellen is giving money to Jerome to finance. Giving the, bonds, treasury bonds, not okay, money. To Jerome to finance what? The to, ongoing. To, to, the, to put money into the system? Yeah. So to Janet goes and says, we need 90 billion. No, Janet, does Jerome come to Janet and say, we need, no. Opposite Janet way. says. Janet goes to Jerome and says, we need 90 billion to pay the bills to turn the lights on in the United States. Okay. Take the, take these U.S. treasuries or T-bills and then go, they go, typically go out and then they sell them in the marketplace. And they okay? sell them to? They sell them through their prime dealers, which are 12 of them. And then they sell those out to institutionals, guys like Mark and Drew who buy T-bills, this, that, and the other. Okay. Well, because... The Fed is functioning now at a, a at a loss versus a profit. They, based on the rules, they can't give money to the Treasury until they become profitable again. Now, how do they become okay? Now, again, you use the words they. The, uh, Jerome Janet, can't Jerome, give the money back to Janet until they become profitable again. Correct. And what I'm looking at here is a line that shows that it was working all fine until. 
January or December? September, of, September of uh, last year. And at that point, Jerome that, can't meet his obligations to Janet. His his book, his business is starts losing money. Okay. So he cannot give Janet the money she needs to pay the electric bill. Okay, so what happens? Well, the way it's playing out, it's projected that June or July of this year, Janet will be out of money. Well, I thought and, Janet just and, could print money anytime she wants. Janet doesn't print money. Jerome prints money. No, the Treasury prints the money, doesn't it? The Federal Reserve is the, you know, the little mean bean. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so, so the what, point what, is, Jerome just print the money? Jerome doesn't have, the rule book basically says that, Jer that Jerome can't print money until he stays profitable. So if you go back, you know, he's profitable. He, he stays above the water, you know, back until January uh, 19th of, or uh, since January or January of 2011, he's profitable. And then in September, he starts to become negative. And the reason is, is because a lot of the assets he's holding on his balance sheet are assets that were issued at a two or 3% rate in comparison to the market. So the market is saying, well, we don't want your balance sheet anymore, Jerome. That's quantitative tightening. That's selling off his... His balance sheet from nine trillion. He's trying to get it down. Um, he's trying to sell that off, but nobody wants a treasury that pays two percent on, say, a ten-year treasury or a two-year treasury. When I can go out and buy a new treasury at four. And so, what's happening in relation to this is now your money supply is starting to shrink because he can't print anymore until he becomes profitable again. So, how does he become profitable again? He's got to get the 10-year treasury and other and these other 10-year treasury around from what I've gathered and read and researched, he's got to get it around three and a half, which he's pretty close to, but he's basically sort of stuck. He's got to, he's sort of in, a, he's in a pickle in a sense. He can't do one thing like print money, yet he can't sell anything because he's unprofitable and nobody wants what he's got. So he's just sort of, he's in a corner. And so from the research I have found is, and based on the rule book they follow, that they will one, have, they will, we could be facing a situation where you see hyperinflation again. And so what is he, what is his mandate? Keep unemployment low and keep inflation in line. So how do you do that? You raise interest rates to keep inflation in line versus right now, if he could lower rates, well, that would create a lot more liquidity in the system and potentially actually solve this problem he's got with the treasury right now. As I said, I'm just finding all this and the research on it, but what I'm the way I look at this is there is going to be a tightening of the money supply in the system. The way they're handling the banking system with the open window to um to money that's a whole nother subject and it's a deep subject. But anyways, I guess my point is what we're seeing in this rally today in the in the NASDAQ and the S&P and the Dow is on very soft ground. It's on a sand base, uh, sound, sand foundation. And from what I see with what's happening within the Federal Reserve, the Treasury and their relationships with the present banking system, couple that with the commercial real estate environment, this rally may be very, very short lived. And I think this is where you have to start thinking safety. 
Okay. Um, I think I, you and I are both reading this book, The Lords of Easy Money. Yeah. Has this ever happened before? We, we've had two. We have not like this. Not at this scale. We haven't had two events like the 1928 and the 1980s, the Paul Volcker you know, world actually happened simultaneously at this heavily leveraged world. You throw in this $1.4 trillion in commercial real estate that will come due this year and next year into this and a slowing economy, slowing revenue, slowing earnings per share growth. I mean, I think we're already negative on first quarter earnings by on the S&P 500 by like 15% year over year. This is basically a, it's a train coming down the tracks and we are right now, how do we get off the tracks? How Let me throw something this? else at you. Yeah. This comes to mind. Um, as I understand it, um, the Congress has to increase the de debt limit such that we can pay the bills that we've already incurred or the U.S. dollar loses its credibility. Does that have anything to do with this? Well, if they, okay, so <clears throat> one of the things I was reading was basically saying Congress has to step in to this mess and, uh, sorry about that, um, and basically tell the Fed they can't do what they've been doing and they have to get yields under control uh, and get, um, they have to take the action. The Congress does. Now, if they say, okay, we're going to raise the debt limit, but based on the rules between, and I'm just talking through this, based on the rules that the Fed has to follow, well, they're still in a pickle because he's unprofitable. Jerome's unprofitable. And even though Jana has a bigger budget, she can't get the money until he becomes profitable. How does the whole discount window fit into this, Trent? But you know, now all of a sudden we've seen it spike. You know, yeah. they were doing quantitative tightening, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have this little banking right. issue, and now you see all these banks going to the discount window, and then this new program that I, I'm not an expert on, but it seems like there's a lot more money available on the system, which would be inflationary in my thoughts. But how how does that fit into what you're talking about here? So, in the last two and a half, three weeks the Fed's balance sheet has moved about $400 billion. And what they have Upper done- down. Up or down. Up. So basically they- They are buying more bonds. Correct. So the reverse uh, repo window is basically the way it works is the banks go to them or other central banks throughout the world and they pledge assets such as treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, those kind of things. And because of the pandemic, they actually opened it up to other types of um, bonds. Uh, and they basically- in exchange for those assets, those securities, they will then give them U.S. dollars. Well, when S Silicon Valley Bank failed, and then uh, well, Silvergate was first, Silicon Valley Bank, and then Signature Bank failed, they opened that window back up and said to keep, and this was that ruling that I spoke about last week on March 15th, they said, we will open this window back up in because of basically a liquidity um, shortage within these banks so that they could um, support depositors and basically stay alive. And in doing so, they basically um, ran up their balance sheet. The Federal Reserve ran up their balance sheet again by about 400 and some odd billion. I don't know what it is today. And that money became very cheap. That's new money that comes in the system. Well, one of the predicaments that is happening because of this is that, as you have pointed out, Carrie, in, the in many videos, is that FDIC 
is $250,000 insurance on that account. Well, anybody who is not uh, insured by because their limits are higher are now moving that money out to now money market accounts. Right. And because Fidelity has, and I'm, I'm, I believe this is how it works, Fidelity has access to that window. They're able to go and pledge maybe those bonds they held that bought in 2000 to 2021 at like say a 2% or 3% yield and pledge those, get cash, and then go into the, take that money and put it into their money market accounts and go out and buy two-year treasuries at 4.1% or uh, or short or short-term one month and three months uh, treasuries at a higher rate. And so what now create that creates is the big money, this, you know, the in institutional money is now flowing into money markets and draining it out of the bank accounts, this, the banks. So basically the Fed has created a situation where money market accounts and you know, companies who build money market accounts like uh, Fidelity or uh, JP Morgan or, or uh, you know, Goldman Sachs, basically they're going to the window, exchanging, getting this cash, going out and buying fresh, higher yielding assets and being able to say to you, hey, Carrie, instead of getting paid one and a quarter on your uh, savings account at, at your bank, why don't you move your money over here and get 4% or four and a quarter percent and park your money here in a money market account, which is completely liquid. And so now you're seeing that flow. So in a sense, the Fed is actually scalping the banks. Yeah, They're hurting the banks. And this action they're doing, coupled with all these other programs they're doing, they're creating a bigger and bigger press and pressure on the banking system to where they go, wait a second, we first have this problem of these assets we bought prior to a year ago that were yielding one, two, maybe 3%. And now those are underwater. And now you're building a program, offering a program to money market accounts that is taking money from our deposits and putting it into those money market accounts. We're running out of air. The water is rising. And so the Fed basically, <clears throat> basically is killing the banking system. Well, they're, from they're, my competing, perspective. they're competing against banks. Because I can pull money out of my bank that I'm getting nothing on, mm -hmm. put it in a put it in a, a thirty, you know, sixty day treasury bill for five percent, and I take my money out of their bank, yeah, and I put it into the government. And so it's you know, so the banks until they can offer a competitive rate with the government, you're going to see more money exit the bank. Yeah. So I have, so I have a question. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. So I think you know this is. Some I'm trying to understand the whole thing, but there's something I'm missing. But you're saying that if Jerome cannot print any money based on your, uh, you know, explanation here, <clears throat> and you're saying that um, Jerome will have to increase the interest rates to lower the inflation, and that's what he said, right? Yeah. So what happens? So there's a lot of layoffs going on, um, and if he keeps the interest rate high and even you know going more higher, there's going to be more banks failing, regional banks, and with the <clears throat> commercial real estate and also people, you know getting money into the treasury bond instead of the bank, I think it's obvious that there will be a lot of banks collapsing. Now, in that case, I thought that Jerome could come in and like print more stimulus money for the layoffs to save them. And even for the banks, if they fall, who will be able to bail them out? Or are they going to just leave it as it is so they can really, really just flush you know, well, the whole system? So as you're saying that, Drew, I, I'm like thinking of the comments at the last Fed funds meeting where the Fed said, if I have this right, basically that the banks are fine, we can backstop them. Right, that's what they said. And then Yellen, in the same day, said the opposite. They're not, yeah. 
So I guess what I, I'm putting this together as we're talking, Yellen's saying, I don't know if I can get any money from the Fed mm. because the Fed's underwater. But the Fed's saying, well, we can backstop the banks. Is he lying? Is he not know what he's talking about? Or is Janet lying? And she doesn't know what she's talking about. That's the predicament I think we're in. But I look at like what has happened this week with the stock market, and it makes me go, that's a, that is quantitative easing. That's what happens when you flush money into the system. I didn't get a, any more money this week, but I probably, my bank got more money. And probably to maybe unwind some negative trades they have on their books, they may have borrowed from the window, the reverse repo window, and bidded up some assets along with every other bank and every other institution to basically get closer to being you know, neutral and get out of them. And that's where, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking through this. If I were a bank and I said, oh my gosh, I can grab a billion by pledging these assets that are underwater. And then I can go out to the marketplace and I can trade this and I can limit my losses on my hold to maturity assets. I'd do it. I'd do so you're thinking they're, they're actually pumping the market to get as much gain as possible just to- To create you know, liquidity, right, create right, solvency. Okay. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not a, you know, a genius or anything, but if I were some of those guys at Goldman Sachs, I'd be like, oh, free money. We did this 12 years ago. And then, then they return it. They get their crap assets back from, or, uh, from uh, the Federal Reserve. They've got more money in their bank or in their system or in their uh, coffers. And all of a sudden, they just pull the rug out from under the, under the market. Okay, my takeaway from this, is move to the sidelines and watch the game play out because is, because I don't understand the game. I'm watching cricket and I don't understand cricket. Okay. Right. So so I'm not so what don't don't take the invitation onto the field. I you know I think for the the people watching this video, this is like mm -hmm. every day I learn something new about how the money system in the world works. And it's because I seek it. I want to know. I want to understand it. And what I am under getting deeper and deeper into this, I'm going, this is the plumbing of our, our economic system. And from what I am learning, the plumbing is backing up. And there is no plumber to call to come unplug it. And that's my concern. So yeah, not this is not recommend recommendation or advice whatsoever. Do your own due diligence. But what, what I am seeing is that as we get into earnings season next week and the week after, we're going to start to see, like I think you made the comment um, with the Warren Buffett quote, where when the tide goes out, you see who's not wearing swim trunks. I think that over the next three months is going to be very evident. And one of the guys who's going to be in that lineup could be Janet and uh, Jerome Powell, which is just a crazy ass thought to have that pictured in my head, uh, <laughs> you know, to have the tide go out with those. Well, guys. I'm sure there's going to be a illustration of the two of them. At yeah, least. So I think it's coming. <laughs> I think it is. But I think what, what with what Mark and Drew have built with the swing trading program and Mark's risk off approach to asset management, there is a lot to learn there when it comes to taking seeing the opportunities in these markets and seeing the opportunities and what is an opportunity and what is actually a, a death trap and to be able to use the tools and skills that the swing trading program has has created i believe that is that is well worth the monthly fee alone because there is going to be an opportunity in my opinion over the next six to 12 months 
that will be the biggest opportunity of my lifetime um, that we can all using swing trading, understanding the plumbing of, of the economic system, we can all capitalize on and become and create legacy wealth from. I think that, you know, I say this a lot, you need to be patient. You don't need to be in the market every single day and every single, you know, I sell this, I got to buy something else. You, you really don't. And with the advent of higher interest rates, either in treasury bills or CDs, it gives you another option that's safe. When you think that yesterday I was able to purchase CDs at five, 5.1%. And on average, the stock market gives you over a hundred years, a 7% gain with all that risk involved. You could have 12 years where it's not there. I, I'm sleeping well at night because I can yeah. put cash over here. Uh, it's 30 days, it expires or you know, um, 60 days or 90 days. I either roll it over or I put it back into more risk depending on what the market is. And I have, I'll wait for that to happen, okay? I don't have to be in there and risk my money, you know, with something that we haven't seen in a long time. And a lot of people in the markets have not seen what's going on right now. They haven't mm -hmm. seen inflation. They haven't seen uh, the amount of money that's being printed uh, yeah. in their lifetime that's sitting out there uh, in the market. So I'm content with uh, finding places to put money at 5%. I'm happy with that. You got to get it in your head. You know, we've, we just came through a, you know, a period of three or four years where it was by the dip and everything went up. We did that in the dot-com era. We've done it before and we'll do it again. So you yeah. got to learn from history, be patient. And, uh, you know, money moves to where value is. And I've said that every time. And right now, value is where you want it to be. And, and for me, it's safe money. And that's just me personally. Other people have different risk tolerances and, and the time horizons. And you need to, uh, to figure out what yours is, have a plan and follow your plan.